Our second reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 25. I will read verses 14 through 30. Hear the word of God. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these parables which you spoke so long ago. And we thank you for having ensured that they were written down and preserved through all of these long years. We ask now that you would speak to us afresh from these ancient words that you spoke, speak into this day and our circumstance. These favors we ask in your powerful name. Amen. You have probably seen one of those irreverent bumper stickers which reads, Jesus is coming, look busy. 
Those bumper stickers are half right, of course. Jesus is coming. But nothing makes the boss more unhappy than a worker who fakes being busy. That seems to be almost worse than sleeping on the job. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, the four-week season in the church calendar in which we prepare for the coming of Christmas. It is also a time when the church, in a particular way, focuses on the return of Jesus. At the Last Supper, Jesus said to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. The church has always held on to this promise that Jesus will return to earth to gather up his church anticipation of that return has always been a part of the Christian life and the entire history of the church has been lived between the two advents of Jesus, his first coming as a humble baby in Bethlehem and his second coming as a king in clouds of glory. We live in that in-between time, that waiting time. And sometimes the wait can be hard. It has not been so many years since Harold Camping of Family Radio fame gained a lot of attention with his prediction that Jesus would return and that the earth would end in the year 2011. I got a copy of his book, We Are Almost There! Exclamation point. Family Radio was giving them away and so I ordered one and uh, I read it. I read it carefully. This is a well-marked copy of this book. I'm an attentive reader. I'm a slow reader, but I'm an attentive reader. But i got to tell you, this one was very difficult to get through because it has a lot of very specific interpretations of some very unspecific Scripture passages. And it has a lot of numerology, that pseudoscience which is more closely related to astrology than to biblical exegesis. Camping predicted that Jesus would appear in the clouds on May 21st, 2011. Some of you got the postcard announcing that, and that five months later, the world would come to an end. We read here on page 33, Thus, we must realize that October 21st, 2011 will be the final day of this earth's existence. It gets a little star in, in, in my copy. If you flip to the back page of this little book, you'll see my notation here, which indicates that I finished reading this book on January 21st, 2011, which gave me plenty of time to prepare for the return of Jesus if I wasn't already prepared. But I knew already in January 2011 that camping was barking up the wrong tree. And so I wasn't fooled by his prediction. The clues were so obvious to anyone that anyone could have figured it out. You see, Camping's prediction of the date of the return of the end of the world appears on page 33. 
And that's hardly a random number. Everyone knows that Ava Braun, Hitler's girlfriend, and Ava Perone, don't cry for me, Argentina, and David Koresh, the Waco wacko, and John Belushi of Animal House fame, and Timothy McVeigh, who needs ISIS when you have friends like McVeigh. Everyone knows that all of these people died at age 33. No mere accident. And if that's not enough proof, anyone can see that 33 plus 33 is 66, and 66 is just one six away from 666, and we all know what that means. So when Harold Camping announces the end of the world on page 33, well, this Presbyterian was not fooled. Now, I'm being silly, of course. I'm lampooning the very kind of numerology you find in these kinds of books. But this discussion points to the strange fact that the next important event in divine human history, the next important event in the interaction between heaven and earth, is the return of Jesus. But not even Jesus knows when that return will happen. Jesus is coming. We just don't know when. Now, we live in an age of instantaneous communications and constant news updates. The very idea of not knowing when a huge event will happen is simply unnerving to us. Two weeks ago, the Morrisons drove to Connecticut to visit my wife's family for Thanksgiving Day. And the route from here to there runs the length of the New Jersey Turnpike, and then it crosses over the George Washington Bridge, and it traverses the South Bronx via I-95. So it's over the river and through the hood to grandmother's house we go. But because of the unpredictable traffic, our 135-mile trip could take us two and a half hours or take four and a half hours. Which means that when we pull out from Willow Grove, we have no idea when we will get to Connecticut with or without a GPS. But since not knowing when an honored guest will arrive, and what are the Morrisons if not honored guests, my wife, while we're driving to Connecticut, went to work to find an app for the iPhone which allows a person to track your iPhone and see exactly where you are in real time. Ava wanted her mother in Connecticut to be able to look at her iPhone and follow us as we're traveling up the New Jersey Turnpike so that she would know when we would arrive. I thought it was a great idea. And then I asked Ava if I could have that same app on my phone so that I could know where she is at any time. Nothing doing, she tells me. My point is this. It is hard to wait. It is hard to know what to do with yourself when you're waiting for someone you love. Because everything is ready. Because the only thing that is missing is this person that you're waiting for. You don't need to clean the kitchen. You've already done that. You don't want to pick up a book because you're distracted with the thought of their arrival. And so you wander around aimlessly listening for the doorbell. As Christians, what we're waiting for is not a doorbell. 
but the blast of a heavenly trumpet, a trumpet heralding the arrival of our King. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16 we read, The Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise. We are waiting for that day. But unlike Christmas Day, which is the, the anniversary of the first advent of Jesus, which is now just 22 days away, we don't know when Jesus' second advent will happen. Those of you who have children in the house or those of you whose memories are not yet shot know that kids have the hardest time waiting for Christmas. At our house, we have a Santa Claus doll and Santa is holding this box that reads days until Christmas and then in the box are placed for two dice with numbers on them that you can turn around to announce how many days we still have to wait. And Mia sets this thing every morning. She wakes up and she asks, Papa, how many days is it until Christmas? And then she has to adjust the numbers. In one way, it is hard to wait for Christmas. If you're young, 22 days seems like forever. Though if you're old, 22 days seems like yesterday. Or 22 years seems like yesterday. It's hard to wait for Christmas. But because it's already on the calendar, at least we know when it's coming. The second advent is different. We don't know when it's coming. So this morning I want to talk about how it is that we should live in light of this promise of the second coming. How we should live knowing that Jesus is returning, but we don't know when. And in the two passages of scripture that we read this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, scripture teaches us three basic truths about the right Christian response to the promise of the second coming. The first is, believe it. Believe that Jesus was telling the truth when he said that he's coming back. Second is, stay awake. The Christian life is an attentive life, not a drowsy nap. We need to be attentive to what God is doing around us and in us. And third, stay busy. The Christian life is an active career. It is not a complacent retirement. Christian discipleship is a life of stewarding the time and energy and resources that God has given to us in the service of his kingdom. So let's take a look at those three basic truths separately. First, believe it. Believe that Jesus is coming back. Jesus talks at length about his return in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, which we read snippets of this morning. In the Acts of the Apostles, which gives us a snapshot of those first years after Jesus' resurrection, the second coming of Jesus was a regular part of the preaching of the early church. Many of the letters of Paul, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 2nd Timothy and Titus, talk about the second coming and explain why it is so essential to our faith. If we believe Jesus, if we believe the teaching of the apostles, 
then we must believe that Jesus will return to earth. Now what is it that we are to believe about that second coming? The simplest summary of the biblical doctrine is that the of the second coming is that the second coming will be personal, visible, and bodily. Personal, visible, and bodily. So for those of you who are outlining this sermon, I'm now entering points A, B, and C under major point one. Alright, I don't want you to get lost here where we're going, okay? Point A. The return of Jesus will be personal. In Acts chapter 1, we have a record of the ascension of Jesus. We read, quote, After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, but suddenly two men dressed in white, angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16 we read, The Lord himself will come down from heaven. Scripture is very emphatic about the personal return of Jesus. When we say that the return of Jesus will be personal, we mean that the self-same Jesus who was here with James and Peter and Mary and John and Martha will be the Jesus who returns to gather up his church, both the living and the dead. The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, was not the second coming. The birth of the church, which is the body of Christ, is not the second coming. Jesus coming into your heart when you were born again is not the second coming. Those are some theories that people have proposed through the years. They are all wrong. When Jesus comes back, we will meet the very same Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger by his mother, the Virgin Mary, more than 2,000 years ago. The same Jesus. The return of Jesus will be personal. Secondly, the return of Jesus will be visible. Again, the report of the angels in Acts chapter 1. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. The disciples saw Jesus rise up into the sky. And in the same way, we will see him return. The elevator goes up and the elevator comes down. And in both cases, Jesus was and will be visible to the natural human eye. What's being described here in scripture is not some kind of spiritual vision. We're talking about natural, physical vision. In Revelations 1-7 we read, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Now the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus has already returned. He returned in uh, 1914, but he was invisible. Harold Camping, after his announced rapture date of May 21st, 2011, modified his theory and said, yes, well, you know, the rapture did happen, but it was just invisible. Let every false prophet be exposed, but let the word of God stand forever. The return of Jesus will be visible. 
And third, the return of Jesus will be bodily. Last week, my daughter Mia asked me, Papa, is it true that if a group of people are together praying that God is there? Jesus promised in Matthew 18.20 that who, whenever two or more are gathered in my name, that I will be among them. That promise, however, is of a spiritual presence. Jesus is spiritually present when we gather in his name. Jesus is spiritually present in this room this morning. He is not bodily present. That, however, will change in the second coming. He will be bodily present when Jesus comes to earth again. He will be in his body, in his resurrected body, in his glorified body. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way as you have seen him go, the angels say. Scripture teaches us three basic truths about what we should do regarding the second coming. The first is that we should believe it. We should believe that Jesus is coming back and that his return will be personal, visible, and bodily. The second thing Scripture teaches us about what we should do regarding the second coming, is that we should stay awake. The Christian life is an attentive life. It is not a drowsy nap. We need to be spiritually awake. We need to be attentive to what God is doing around us and in us. We need to be attentive to what we are doing and how that interacts with God's will and His intentions for our lives. In our reading from Matthew chapter 24, Jesus uses the story of Noah as an analogy for the second coming. As you all know, in Noah's day, the people were wicked and a day of judgment was looming, but the world was spiritually asleep. They were oblivious to the danger and they were oblivious to the fact that their own behavior was the cause of this danger. Like normal people, they were absorbed with eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. And they gave no thought to God or what God might be up to in the world or in their lives. They gave no thought to how they were living in light of God's law or God's will. And so they were taken by surprise. We need to stay awake. Because Jesus is coming. And we don't want to be caught Asleep at the wheel. God has made his will known to us. It is in scripture. And we need to be awake enough to take a look at how we are living. And compare that with the will of God. Life is short. Life is precious. We shouldn't waste any of this life on junk that doesn't please God. We shouldn't waste any of this life on junk that won't count in eternity. We shouldn't waste this life stumbling around in a drowsy stupor like morally unconscious sleepwalkers. Let's take our lives seriously. Let's expect great things from ourselves. Let's hold up our lives against the standard of God's law. Let's not kid ourselves into thinking that there will never be an accounting of how we live or that God doesn't care. If we do that, our lives will be beautiful. Our lives will count for something. 
And at the end of our days, we will find ourselves in the ark of God's salvation in the church of Jesus Christ in the kingdom of God. And third, stay busy. The Christian life is an active career. It is not a complacent retirement. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus uses the parable of the talents to explain his second coming. The master is about to go away on a long journey. He has three servants, and to each of these servants he gives a quantity of money. Five talents to one, two to another, and one to the third. The master then leaves. No one knows how long he's going to be gone, but while he's gone, life goes on. And after a time, perhaps many years, the master returns. While he has been gone, the servant who received five talents put that money to work and earned five more. The servant who received two talents put that money to work and earned two more. To these servants, the master says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. But about the servant who buried the talent he was given. Jesus says that he was cast into outer darkness, into a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a very stark contrast. God takes our lives, God takes your life seriously. He has invested in you. He has equipped you with gifts and graces and resources and he expects you to use them. Not to serve yourself, but to serve the kingdom of God and to serve one another. First Peter 4.10 tells us, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. All too often we treat our gifts and graces and resources as if they were ours. As if they belonged to us. As if they were intended for our consumption. But the Bible says that everything that we have and that everything that we are belongs to God. We are the stewards. We are the caretakers of God's investments. We are not the owners So I ask you, what would your life look like? What would this church look like? If you were to take a hard look at yourself, if you were to honestly assess your capacities, your assets, your abilities, your resources, and ask the question, what does God want me to do with all this stuff? How can I give God a 100% return on His investment in me? What kind of life does God want me to lead so that He can say to me one day, Well done, good and faithful servant. May we ask ourselves that question. Jesus is coming. Let's not just look busy. Let's be busy. Let's be engaged in His Business. It is a business that makes this life count. It is a business that pays eternal dividends. So here we are. 
finally the first Sunday of Advent 2017. And as we prepare our hearts and our homes for the coming of the Feast of Christmas, let us also reflect seriously on the second coming of Jesus. Let us also reflect seriously on how we are responding to that promised reality. We have been called to believe. To believe what Jesus says. To take Him at His word. To believe that He is coming back. We have been called to stay awake. To stay spiritually connected with God. To be in His Word. To be evaluating our lives in light of God's law. To be receptive to the leading of His Holy Spirit. And we have been called to be busy. God has invested in us. We have been called to not allow that investment to sit idle. We've been called to put our time and talent and treasures to work building up God's kingdom, blessing the brothers and the sisters, being the hands and the feet of Christ himself, distributing mercy and grace as we move through this world. Jesus is coming. Believe it. Stay awake. Get busy. Let us pray. Father God, we love you and we adore you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for teaching us teaching us about this wonderful promise that one day you will show up in the clouds and that every eye will see you and you will return to take charge of this world. Lord, may we be awake when that day comes. May we be busy until that day comes. We ask these favors in your name. Amen. 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 I'm going to invite you